0: Shot diving play by Ozzy. Long throw, you wouldn't believe it. Tommy with a drive deep center field, away back, goal! And Scott Rowland hits one into deep left field, back at the wall, a leap and a catch. Andy Chavez takes a home run and turns it into a double play. Into deep left center
1: for Mitchell. We'll see you Good Welcome back to Coax Baseball. I'm Travis Laver, joined as always by Scott Brady. How you doing, Scott?
0: I'm doing just dandy today.
1: Great, great, sounding great with your new microphone. Things are working yeah, out.
0: All all fancy. Got all my fancy. nice little
1: pop filter. Oh, wow. You can yeah. you can all you want now. Oh. <laughs> Something like that. So, yeah, how,
0: how's your week been? You been doing okay over there? Yeah, I'm doing great. Very excited for the upcoming baseball season. And oh, yeah. have been trying to satiate that by watching baseball games of years past. Like the <laughs> one that we're going to talk about today.
1: I was wondering if, if, like, because we've, I would say we've had medium interest in the podcast, maybe a little more than I expected, Mm -hmm. judging by the listens, which is nice. Thank you all for listening to this thing that we're doing. But I was was wondering if, like, it's the type of thing that we could continue doing in the regular season at the same pace, just because we have actual, real, happening now, baseball to watch. Maybe people won't be as interested, but um, it does feel like an off-season thing. But I think we're going to keep doing it anyway, because screw it.
0: Yeah, why not?
1: All right, so we have a National League game today. Which which just yes. occurred to me as we were watching it, we haven't we haven't had a single National League have team. I've not
0: done a National League game yet.
1: No, so this is episode 5, right? So it could be worse, I guess. Yes. Hey, the first three we were doing kind of indulging our fandom and then the last one mm-hmm. obviously with the Red Sox and the Yankees. So this feels like another To me these two teams, the Dodgers and Cardinals, and to me, these mm-hmm. two teams are like—they're not the Red Sox and, and, and Yankees, obviously. No, I mean, they're not even the Dodgers and Giants. But they do feel like to me like they have a rivalry, just because they're both like old-timey National League teams who were almost always good, you know. Well, and
0: they've—they've they've had playoff history too. Like you yeah. had, they played each other, I think, a couple of times in the '80s. Um, and then you obviously had some more recent playoff matchups between them uh the 2013 ALCS and then the 2014 or AL NLCS and then the following year the NLDS um have they had any since then I think they might have I honestly can't remember yeah now
1: it's hard to keep track of that shit now because there's so many so many playoff teams but
0: yeah so many rounds but yeah they've they've played quite a few times in the playoffs so I think you have some something of a rivalry there as well plus I think you have you know midwest versus west coast yeah yeah the much more culturally diverse la versus the you know (laughs) white bread uh, very midwest (laughs) rust belt st louis yeah 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 and i think there's something
1: about the uniforms too they're both very classic baseball uniforms and they contrast they Mm -hmm. contrast with each other with the all red and all blue really well yeah, they look they look great on a baseball field. These two teams and they're playing. And yeah, they're the two most successful franchises in the National League, like in history, by and, far. And so, it's so close. Exactly. So I think there there is sort of a an unnatural rivalry there. So it's a fun game. Yeah. So this one was from August 6, thousand eight. We'll do our little Sports Center highlight package. It's August 6, 2008. The American election campaign is in full swing as Barack Obama vies to become the first black president of the United States. The nation's eyes are focused on the early stages of the mortgage crisis as George W. Bush winds down his last few months in office. In baseball, the non-waiver trade deadline passed a week ago, and it did not disappoint. The Milwaukee Brewers, poised to make their first playoff appearance since the early 80s, have swung for the fences, acquiring ace lefty CC Sabathia from Cleveland for a package of highly touted prospects. The Angels made moves, grabbing all-star first baseman Mark DeShera from the Atlanta Braves, and the Oakland Athletics, in a sell-off move, dealt injury-prone ace Rich Harden and Chad Godin to the Chicago Cubs in return for a package of no-name players, including a struggling catcher named Josh Donaldson. The Los Angeles Dodgers, in the midst of a disappointing season thus far, find themselves benefiting from being in the NL West, the league's worst division. They are in St. Louis taking on the Cardinals, who are in the middle of a competitive wildcard race. The Dodgers were active at the deadline, grabbing future Hall of Famer Manny Ramirez from the Boston Red Sox and third baseman Casey Blake from Cleveland to replace their struggling prospect Blake DeWitt, the heir apparent to the departed Adrian Beltre. St. Louis was much less active, netting, netting utility player Felipe Lopez after the deadline on the waiver wire, and he's making his debut in this game. Alright, on to the lineups. For the Dodgers, uh, sinkerballing right-hander Derek Lowe is on the mound with a 370 ERA. He takes on another sinkerballer. This might have been peak sinkerball era in 2008, right-handed pitcher Joel Pinheiro, who had a 504 ERA. For the Dodgers, leading it off in center field is Matt Kemp. Betting second is the right fielder Andre Ethier. Betting third, the Canadian catcher Russell Martin. Betting cleanup, the aforementioned Manny Ramirez in left field. At first base is James Loney, betting fifth. Betting sixth at third base is Casey Blake. In the 7th spot is the second baseman Pablo Ozuna, filling in for Jeff Kent, who has a day off. And batting 8th is the shortstop Angel Baroa, who is in for the injured Rafael Fercal and Nomar Garciaparra. I think they're both injured in this game. And batting ninth, the pitcher Derek Lowe. For the Cardinals, leading it off in center field is Skip Schumaker. Batting 2nd at 2nd base is Adam Kennedy. In the 3 spot, 1st baseman Albert Pujols. Batting cleanup is right fielder Ryan Ludwig, who's in god mode at this point in the season. Mm-hmm. At third base, batting fifth, Troy Gloss. Batting sixth is the catcher, Yadier Molina. In the seventh spot, the aforementioned Felipe Lopez is in left field, making his Cardinals debut. Batting eighth is the pitcher, Joel Pinheiro. Way to go, Tony LaRusa. And batting ninth is the shortstop, Cesar Esturas. The managers are Joe Torre and Tony LaRusa, two future Hall of Fame managers. The Cardinals come into the game with a 63 and 52 record. They're five and a half games out in the National League Central in third place behind the Brewers and the Cubs. They trail the Brewers by half a game in the wildcard race, while the Dodgers are 56-56 and 56, but find themselves just two and a half games back of the 59-54 and 54 Arizona Diamondbacks. All right, I picked things up in the bottom of the first after an Adam Kennedy single, Albert Pujols singles, and it moves Kennedy to third. Pujols ends up at second base on a hustle play after a throw to third to try to get Kennedy. Then there was a wild pitch. By, by Derek Lowe, and uh, Kennedy came in to score to make a one to nothing. Cardinals. Top of the second, Joel Pinheiro served up a meatball curveball to Manny Ramirez, who hit one deep to right center field. Dreadlocks a-flyin'. It's 1-1 after that home run. And then later in the inning, Angel Baroa tripled, and that would score Pablo Ozuna to make it 2-1 to Dodgers. In the top of the third, Ramirez, despite being pitched around, was singled to center field and drove in Matt Kemp, who doubled earlier in the inning to make it 3-1 Dodgers. In the bottom of the third, Albert Pujols doubled down the left field line and then scored on a Ryan Ludwig broken bat single to make it 3-2. Then Troy Gloss and Yadier Molina both singled right after him. Ludwig came in to score to tie the game at three. In the bottom of the fourth, Pinheiro, Esturis, and Kennedy all singled to load the bases for Albert Pujols, and he did not disappoint, taking a fastball to the moon, basically, somewhere near the moon, for a grand slam to make it seven to three cardinals the very next batter was ryan ludwig who did pretty much the same thing hitting a ball over the head of of Manny ramirez and basically everybody else to make it eight to three cardinals that was the end of the day for Derek lowe who was replaced at that point by ramon troncoso in the top of the seventh matt kemp hit an rbi single off the glove of his tourists his tourists came home with the throw but uh the throw was kind of offline and uh and, was, and the runner was able to score, and Kemp was able to move to second. That made it 8-4 to four for the Cardinals. In the bottom of the seventh, Skip Schumacher singled to right field, and Joe Mather scored, making it 9-4 to four for the Cardinals. In the top of the eighth, Brad Thompson in for Joel Pinheiro. Uh, Brad Loney hit an RBI double to right field. That scored Martin to make it 9-5. And then Casey Blake doubled to right to score Loney, and suddenly it's 9-6. to six. Then some weird shit happened. Jeff Kent came up to pinch hit, but no, was it Mark Sweeney? Was it Jeff Kent? Was it Mark Sweeney? We don't really know. There was a really long delay. Uh, Nobody in the crowd knew what the hell was going on. Everybody was just kind of arguing. (laughs) Mark Sweeney originally had come up to the plate to pinch hit, and Tony Tony Russa came out to change the pitcher, and then Mark Sweeney went back to the dugout, and Jeff Kent came out, but Mark Sweeney was never technically announced, I guess, or maybe he was, and then he came back out out of the game. (laughs) Yeah, there was a lot of confusion, but basically... Uh, Joe Torre had to burn Mark Sweeney and go back to Jeff Kent. Uh, La Russa finally did make a pitching change to the right-hander Chris Perez, and Torre played the rest of the game in protest. So there was that. Uh, Chris Perez came in but was able to get out of the inning, and that was basically it. The rest of the game went you know, pretty much uneventful as the Cardinals beat the Dodgers. Nine to six. Joel Pinero the win, Derek Lowe the loss. Chris Perez, his first career save, and he actually became a closer quite after this. So, you know, I guess yes, that's sig- significant that he got his first career save in this game. Yeah, so that's the that's the highlights, bungled as they were. But a nine-six final for the Cardinals. So
0: Scott, what do you think? How was the game? Uh this was a fun one. There's a lot of points I have that I want to go over. I'll try and make them uh, quick as I can. Um the first thing I want to do is touch upon the former and future Cleveland category, as there were quite a few, uh, both with the Dodgers and the Cardinals in this game. Uh, obviously, you have you know the one and only Manny Ramirez, uh, who we got to see basically at his peak. Um, We've seen him game. in the last three games.
1: This is the third straight Manny Ramirez game.
0: <laughs> Actually, no, he was not in the Boston game. He was off that day because he was hurt.
1: Yes, that's right. I think we might have bottom. seen him in the
0: dugout, but he, didn't he was actually, on the team. wasn't in the lineup that day. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was on
1: the team. At least he, he was around.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But no, because uh, uh, you're right. We did see him hit the grand slam in Cleveland, um, in the White Sox Cleveland game. Um, but yeah, and coming off of what ended up being probably one of the craziest deadlines ever for yeah. MLB. Really nuts. Like you, you mentioned, all the trades, but there were a lot of big names that got moved a lot of future names that would come out of it, a lot of future prospects getting moved. Um, obviously the biggest being the three-way between the Dodgers and Pirates and uh, Red Sox that ended up with Manny in L.A. and Jason Bay in Boston, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, yeah, no, Manny had a great game in this game. Uh, announcers wouldn't shut up about his dreadlocks, but you're <laughs> going to have that, unfortunately, with yeah. old white dudes talking about baseball. Uh, old white dudes in
1: 2008 they don't like things like uh, that yeah
0: mm-hmm. they're already mad about mad enough about that aforementioned presidential election so they're going to take out that anger somewhere else um anyway <laughs> uh also want to bring up casey blake uh, former proto guardian in this game mm-hmm. um blake kind of had something of an interesting career trajectory so he had been with the the Blue Jays, the Twins, and then the Orioles then went back to the Twins as like a platoon part-time player, really didn't establish himself much, was released, and then signed as a free agent as a 29-year-old with Cleveland, and then spent the next let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six six years, parts of six years, as a really good, like genuinely good platoon and bench bat for cleveland hmm. uh, averaging like two to three war every year and then they traded him to the dodgers for carlos santana which looking back like that's a
1: <laughs> i forgot really that that was the guy that... for la yeah yeah
0: and it, yeah. it probably looks even really more bad trade for, he...
1: for los angeles for sure
0: yes it probably looks even more dumb if santana doesn't get hurt his rookie year and sticks at catcher full-time um, obviously he would end up kind of jumping around positions a few times before settling in at first base and really being a very good hitter for quite a long time for Cleveland. I mean, um, he's
1: still a good hitter.
0: <laughs> he's still he around. He, just he can't still, make contact anymore. Yep.
1: Yeah, he's still, he's still playing in, in meaningful playoff games for the Mariners last year. I should know. I watched Although
0: Although I, I wonder if we would see him potentially raise his game a little bit with the shift going away. But anyway, yeah, so yeah. Casey Blake was in this uh, trade return for Carlos Santana. And then you had Chris Perez, who you mentioned, getting his first career save, uh-huh. who would later go to Cleveland and become their, uh, like, high-profile closer, all-star closer for a couple of years uh, before he got in trouble for uh, smoking some weed. And then oh, they Jesus. let him go in free agency. And, uh, yeah, it's it, it was a whole story, actually, where... I, I don't know the whole discourse, but, like, the cops got called on them, and, like, he told them that the weed was for his dog or something. It, <laughs> it was a whole thing. It was very strange and very weird. He blew a bunch of saves that year, so everyone in Cleveland hated him. Um, but, uh, anyway. And that was the only bad so, people
1: smoke weed. Just let me put my bong down here.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't care that he smoked weed. It's just the whole story was funny and weird. But, yeah. anyway, um... Yeah, so Chris Perez, uh, Casey Blake, Manny Ramirez—all former and future Guardians. Um, Also, this Dodgers team had a lot of guys, I guess, like Capital G guys that you remember, who like were good or had good seasons, but never really turned into what the Dodgers probably wanted them to become. Like Matt Kemp had like one truly elite. Year for LA, and then a lot of kind of anywhere from like average to good years, um, before he kind of got his ticket out of LA. Uh, yeah. Andre Ethier was very good for a few years, but then I think injuries kind of derailed his career. Yeah, he played um, for the
1: Dodgers for a really long time too. His yeah, whole no, he was
0: there forever, but his was entire really only career a he never played anywhere player. else. Yeah, he was really only a full-time player for probably like four or five years out of all those seasons he was in LA, and then. You had James Loney, who really weird and interesting profiles of first baseman. Good defensive first baseman, could put the ball in play, uh, made contact, but just never developed any kind of power whatsoever. I remember him more from when he was with Tampa Bay than anything else.
1: Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, that's 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 an age gap thing for sure. Because I definitely remember. Yeah, no,
0: that that's that. Well, and and I was I was kind of out of it during the mid to late aughts. Um, As well, I didn't really get back into it until I was in college in the early 2010s. But yeah, uh, just some interesting players in this team. And then you have like the sullen husks of Jeff Kent and Andrew Jones, both (laughs) making hit appearances in this game.
1: We'll save our Andrew Jones um, discourse for later, because I have a a trivia question involving uh, Sir Sir Andrew. But uh, Mm -hmm. also he's, uh, I mean, it's weird yeah, we'll get into that one later. I have I have thoughts about Andre Jones and the discourse around him. Yeah, them, but, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, we can we can get into that a little bit later. But uh, also, just one thing I wanted to note about this—I didn't don't mean to interrupt you—is that this is the first game yeah. that there are still players who are either still currently playing or just yes. retired at the end of last year. So, like yes. obviously Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols played till the end of last season. They've retired now. Mm-hmm um mm-hmm. but we have not seen major league baseball without them yet uh yes. adam wainwright who was mentioned in this game as coming rehabbing an injury um he mm-hmm. is still pitching which is crazy still on the cardinals um insane insane yeah and then obviously carlos santana who was mentioned a part of the trade wasn't in this game but uh but was still is still around so this is the first time that we've had that and there are no hall of famers on on either of these teams uh, obviously, also Clayton Kershaw was on the Dodgers roster. This is yeah, his, they his mentioned his him season. as a rookie. Yep. Yeah, his rookie age twenty season was this year as well. But uh, wild, we haven't had the time yet to have uh, 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 Hall of Famers. Obviously, Manny Ramirez would be in there if he hadn't been popped what three times for
0: steroids. Yeah, well, I think he was. He was on the two thousand three report that wasn't supposed to go public, but you know, of course, yeah. ended up public. And, and then, then he got popped he got twice. Popped twice when he yeah. was in LA.
1: Well, once in LA and then once in Tampa, right? He got uh, his la- he was popped in-, in Tampa, and then he just sort of stopped playing. He didn't bother like serving the suspension. He just sort of retired. Or I thought they Actually, were both he went- in
0: LA. I could be wrong. Or though. maybe there and maybe that those was part of why they moved him.
1: Well, maybe there was two in LA, and then he got the third one in in Tampa. So he uh, quietly oh, made his I'd exit. But that's but, but yeah. that's when he went. That's when he went to Korea or Taiwan. It was, like, playing over there after that for a yeah, while. Yeah, he was he. in
0: Taiwan, I think. That's where the uh, that clip of the guy saying, this ball is long gone, just like the ex-girlfriend who were never returned, home run Manny Ramirez. <laughs> that was cra- from when he was in Taiwan. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no, it was... Anyway. Uh, it was it, there's, there are a lot of capital G guys in here, and, and like, yeah, mm-hmm. obviously Albert Pujols and Yardier Molina are both, uh, I'd imagine, will be in the Hall of Fame in five years. Hall of Famers, yeah. Probably mm-hmm. going to go in together um wainwright mm-hmm. wainwright might have a case once he retires as well and then um some hall of very Especially good he guys
0: keeps pitching well into his 40s and being above average
1: yeah exactly and then you got mm-hmm. guys like russell martin and jeff kent who are like yes hall of very good i think russell martin mm-hmm. might actually be a hall of famer uh future blue jay in, in this case yeah and yeah just i mean i don't I don't know if I want to do the former future Blue Jay for every game, but there is Russell Martin, and uh, Troy Gloss mm-hmm. was a former Blue Jay by, by this game. Yes. Um, had been traded former for Scott Rowland, actually.
0: Angel.
1: Scott Rowland being a Hall of Famer, of course. But, yeah, no. But, but if we can assume Hall of Stats slash future Hall of Fame, then, yeah, Manny Ramirez, Albert Pujols, Yadier Molina, all appearing in mm-hmm. this game are probably yep. at that level, so that's kind of cool.
0: But, yeah, really a lot of names. Mm-hmm. It's a good. It was a good game. Shifting to the Cardinals a little bit here, uh, just to take a moment to appreciate how fucking good Pujols was at his peak, because this was absolute peak, peak, peak Pujols in this game. Um, you know, went four for four with four RBIs and a walk. Uh, had the you know game turning, game winning grand slam, um, and it was it was so fun to watch that kind of unfold. Because you saw the tension build. They're getting runners on. Here comes holes, You know, you have the looming specter of him in the batter's box. They can't walk him because the bases are juiced. I feel like if it had been... If the Dodgers would have had a lead, particularly a large lead, they probably would have walked him with the bases loaded at that point because he was just that good in his prime. And, like, you you knew it was coming. And then, of course, first pitch he sees from Derek Lowell, he deposits in the Cardinal bullpen, basically. Like, it was yeah it, it was it was like it was written to happen and then you had ryan ludwig get the home run right after him which was I don't, ryan ludwig uh was a cleveland farmhand at one point i can't even remember the genesis of how he ended up in st louis um but he was this like a was waiver claim or some year. shit was it? like he was not yeah, it was weird he was not yeah. good
1: and then like yeah he had this no. like, one bonkers year in, in 2008 yes. yeah uh, no, he was
0: really good in 2008 um what an awkward looking
1: dude by the way awkward looking so like just some notes on on both of Mm -hmm. those guys so like there's nothing nothing more pleasing to me than watching prime albert pujols hit a home run just the stability like the stability of his lower half like the way that he was able to twist his body and hit a ball to the goddamn moon Without really looking like he was
0: putting that much effort well, into it, and when like, he was <laughs> at his peak too, because I had kind of forgotten this just because I got so used to watching him in L.A. and then in his final year when he came back to St. Louis, um, when he was at his peak, he was fairly svelte. Like he yeah. was like a like a well. Like he was a tank. Like, he was a fucking well- tank. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, like, muscular, obviously, but he could, you know, he could run, he could field, like, he could, you know, obviously you had the the one hit that he gets where he gets what looks like a seeing-eye single up the middle, and then he stretches it to a double to test the outfielder. Like, that's that's the kind of shit that uh, Jose Ramirez does today all the time because he's a really smart base runner. Same thing with Pujols. Like, just when you pair that insanely high baseball IQ with the, like, hitting savant-level you know once in a generation hitting talent he had like that just that, that makes for such a special special player and we saw that here in this game and it's just it's so cool to go back and watch
1: yeah the kids will never understand man they they'll never understand what it was like to see poolison yeah. in his in his prime and it, and yeah. like i hadn't seen it in a long time either and so like watching this oh, game God, was yeah. just like it had been
0: years for me yeah too.
1: like just watching him run around the bases and being like man like he wasn't fast i don't think he was ever someone you could consider fast but just like, very, very athletic. Yeah. Like, just extremely yes. athletic and, like, played smart, really athletic. hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, just a really, really fun player. And then, yeah, Ludwig is kind of the opposite. Ludwig looks like he's shouldn't be on a baseball
0: field. Like a Russian I don't know artillery why. tank.
1: Yeah. Like, he, he just, he's awkward and gangly and, and it's like, mm-hmm. he kind of hunches. It's, it's sort mm-hmm. of strange. Uh, but, but, yeah, Ludwig, um, that season, there was one of those, that was sort of like peak cardinal magic. Where like they would have one of the yes, really between, yeah. between about 2005 and about 2018, they would have like mm-hmm. a guy a season who would just come up out of nowhere. No one really know who the hell he was, and then suddenly he's like incredible for a year or two. Well, or in what the case was of frustrating Matt for a some of those longer. later
0: seasons? Yeah, was they were guys that they would develop internally. Whether it was Matt Carpenter, uh, Matt Adams, like had a randomly yeah. good season here or there, uh, Alan Craig. Alan Craig, uh, yeah,
1: Alan Craig's a big one too. Uh,
0: I'm trying to remember who else. Um, uh, Randall Gritchick had a couple good seasons. Stephen yeah but dude, had but a good season his, here. And Gritchick
1: there. was at least like a first round draft pick, right? Like if right, anything, yeah, he was he was a he was, uh, yeah. If anything, he was kind of a disappointment. But he was actually drafted one ahead right. of Mike Trout. That was the whole thing mm-hmm. uh, yep. by the Angels. Um, but yeah, the they, Ryan Ludwig man. I just and that's the thing I hadn't thought about Ryan Ludwig probably since 2008 because that was mm-hmm. his. Uh, did he really just have the one year? I feel like he just really did have the one year. So another was...
0: fun thing about Ryan Ludwig, one of the rare uh, left-handed fielding, right-handed hitting outfielders, uh, yeah. same as Ricky Henderson.
1: Yeah, the awkward. It... Yeah, he
0: really only had that one year. Like, uh, I guess he had an okay year in 2012 in Cincinnati. It looks like. Um,
1: yeah, but let's I mean, see
0: here. Stretching nothing, on okay. Yeah, the two nothing, the two years around this close. one,
1: the two years around this one were also okay, but not yeah like not, not and he's like not, not a good fielder impressive or anything you yeah. know yeah just <clears throat> weird weird career just that one random year at age at age twenty nine when he was incredible and then mm-hmm. otherwise not particularly yep. useful <laughs> yeah if you Ludwig. look
0: at his career war basically half of it came in that one season but yeah Ryan Ludwig weird player with a career year uh huh
1: yeah. And just again, the example, the to me like the quintessential example of a of a Cardinals magic weird like what the fuck yes. is this <laughs> sort of mm-hmm. thing? And, like the game, the game itself, like I said, the game itself was really exciting. Uh, it did seem like it was getting out of hand at one point with when the you know the Cardinals after the Grand Slam and the Ludwig home run, right? Uh, it was made at eight to three, but then like and getting getting to see Joel Pinheiro, who I know was supposed to be this really good pitcher and never really figured it out and he kind of bounced around to like Mm -hmm. Seattle and a couple other places but uh yeah like he actually pitched pretty well in this game he struggled at the start and then kind of settled in and and this was definitely like with Lowe and Pinero actually perfect examples of like peak sinker baller era guys like this would this was this was when everybody was it was just coming out of this the quote-unquote steroid era home runs were Mm -hmm. still like a big part of the game and every team had pivoted to getting these like sinker baller you know soft tosser ground ball guys like Brandon Webb and Derek Lowe and Joel Pinheiro and like all these guys like it seemed like everybody in this game was a sinker baller like uh Troncoso when he came in was the same thing sinker balls yeah yeah just like peak peak sinker ball era which I got to admit that's one of those things that I don't miss when everybody was throwing cutters and sinkers it kind of it didn't strike me as aesthetically pleasing baseball I don't know why no,
0: I agree yeah I, there's because there's there's certain pitches that I find myself attracted to or that I enjoy watching. You know, obviously everyone likes seeing a guy who can air it out and throw gas. You know, I I, I don't know what it is. I've always liked the fork ball. I don't know why. I yeah. I, I don't really think guys use it that much anymore. Uh, no, that's more that like a, a pretty...
1: like a splitter changeup hybrid, right? Yeah. it's kind of mm-hmm. there.
0: Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know a couple Japanese guys liked using the fork ball. Uh, Hideki Okajima was one who used it, and I only remember that because I've used him in uh, yeah. video games from this era quite a few times, and he always has a fork ball. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, but like the, I, I think for me it's curve balls, like a big twelve yeah. to six, like a Barry Zito style. You know, yes, love seeing that. Big and it's funny because because we all lament the increased strikeouts, and I do think that there's a there's a happy spot for strikeouts because strikeouts are fun yes i agree Stri- strikeouts mm-hmm. are fun but too many strikeouts is not as fun just like home runs are fun but too many home runs not as fun yep. there is like a happy medium there and i feel like this era of baseball was maybe approaching that happy medium because strikeouts were going up uh mm-hmm. compared to the other games we've watched in this uh in this yes. in this podcast so far but it was still just like i don't know what it was about snicker bowlers. i just never liked them i always would like whenever i was playing a video game that had you know, if I took over a Blue Jays team that had a bunch of sinker ballers or something mm-hmm. like that, I, I would trade them all. And I recognize that Roy Halliday is also a part of this, like, exact thing. But Roy Halliday, I feel like, was the elite different. And he wasn't as, like, strictly a sinker baller. He was more of a cutter. Right. Roy, Roy cutter Halliday guy. was
0: one of one. He was the exception to the rule.
1: Yeah. And I hope that one day we do a Roy Halliday start uh, from yes, this era. absolutely. Because even though the Jays were wearing those awful jerseys for most of his career, fun picture to watch. But yeah, like, Mm-hmm. There is something about that sort of sinker ball era that I just I don't miss, and like it's okay to have. I like guys that now do it. You know, in twenty twenty three, you get like the odd guy who comes in who's like a sinker baller who who gets ground outs. Mm-hmm. Then I don't mind it so much. But when it's like every pitcher on your staff, like I know Cleveland was like big on sinker ballers for a long time. There, like they were every single pitcher they had was like this mad ground ball guy who just like you know, uh, yeah, they pounded did the that ball to the ground,
0: while, and it was. Weird because they didn't have the defense to support it really for a lot of the time,
1: right? And teams like the Cardinals did, right? Like that was kind of their yes. thing, yeah. Um, they would get sinker ballers but pair it with great defense, so at least it like kind of worked, you know, right? Uh, but yeah, and then I think I think people just sort of recognize that once the the sort of launch angle revolution came in and you started having guys who were trying to hit fly balls, the sinkers were actually kind of detrimental because. You know they would be, if, if you missed, if you threw them even in the middle of the zone, guys were doing these extreme uppercut swings that would just, the sinker ball would kind of go right into them. Uh, and that's when I think you started to see teams kind of pivot away a little bit from sinker balls. But uh, yeah, just, just interesting with these two guys specifically because they're both sort of peak sinker ball guys, mm-hmm. especially Derek Lowe, like when he was on the Red Sox, that was kind of, he made a career out of that.
0: Something that I wanted to comment on with the pitcher usage in this game uh, if this game had taken place ten years later in twenty eighteen, say, or even, you know, this past year in twenty twenty two, do you think Lowe would have been left in to face pooh holes? No. Uh and certainly <laughs> I, I he definitely would have been pulled after pooh holes instead of being left in to face another batter in Ludwig. Yeah. But I'm I'm curious to think what you think the strat would have been nowadays.
1: Yeah, I think he would have been after those three straight singles. Maybe mm-hmm. like it's hard to see because the guy like Lowe's a veteran dude, sort of known as an innings eater at this sure. point in his, at this point in his career. So maybe, but I, definitely not the second home run. <laughs> no,
0: absolutely
1: not. Uh, and even Pinero, I think he was struggling so much at the beginning of the game that I think he might have been out in like the second inning today. Yeah, which that mm-hmm. part I don't like as much. Right. He, he ended up settling Agreed. down and pitching pretty well, and like you know struggled mm-hmm. again in the seventh. But yeah, definitely. And, and I mean these two guys, both Torrey and Larusa, were sort of like peak managers managing guys you know like yes they gotta do stuff just gotta do stuff they gotta they gotta
0: pull pull the levers yeah they they, gotta push all the buttons
1: yeah and you know that that's still a part of they're still got the odd manager who will do that today but again these two were sort of emblematic of that era of like oh my name my name's not getting in the paper tomorrow so i gotta do some stuff uh la russa always annoyed me as a manager i know he had his positives when he was in his prime not in 2022 with the white Sox, but you know when he was managing the cardinals and the a's that he was sort of revolutionary in a lot of senses especially with bullpen use but but also like annoying as shit to watch because they'll fucking pull guys and (laughs) guys will come in to face one batter and then they'll come in and bring another guy in
0: yeah just very aesthetically unpleasing managing
1: yeah yeah very much so and yeah obviously with tory with the uh the Manny Ramirez comment, or the Manny, like, he hated Manny Ramirez, right, very publicly, was not happy when the Dodgers acquired him, uh, and was just sort of, I remember at one point the announcers were saying that, like, oh, he's getting used to Manny. And it's like, like, I get that Manny Ramirez was a personality and that, you know, he could rub people the wrong way. I understand that, but also... I really
0: think, <laughs> my my hot take is the whole Manny being Manny thing was wildly blown out of proportion Like, I think it was just a matter of him playing in the era he did, and, like, white people just being so bristly to any kind of, like, flair or personality that a non-white player could or would have. Because, like, they even, I'm pretty sure there's even an ESPN commercial from this era where they kind of poke fun at that, where it's, like, two of the broadcasters are like, dude, man, he's so wild and strange, and he, like, answers his phone, and he goes like, hola, And then the two broadcasters, like, start cracking up, they're like, I don't even know what that means! Hey,
1: look at Manny. Yeah, dude marches to his own beat. You never know what he's gonna do next.
0: Hola. (laughs) What does that even mean? (laughs) Manny being Manny. (laughs) i <laughs> like they were playing it for a joke, but, like, people weren't really like that. Like, yeah. he would just, like, be himself, and people were like, oh, he's so weird, he's so strange. Like, <laughs> why mean, is think... that such a bad thing? Who fucking cares? He's a one of the best right-handed hitters we've ever seen, and people are more worried about his damn dreadlocks or, you know, whatever controversy, you know, how much pine tar was on his helmet. That was Thanks. another comment they made. Like yeah, lots of lots of the, or, you know, the logo jersey or whatever it was. Like who cares? Just watch the dude hit and shut the hell up. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because like, like
1: I think that I think that Manny was yeah. a pain in the ass sometimes. I, I gather that
0: he, like, he probably was, but I mean like, he he definitely had he definitely a career, was. You know he definitely was from the standpoint OPS. Who cares? <laughs> yeah,
1: he definitely was from the standpoint that the effort level was not always. Uh, spe- sure. like at, least, at least in defense and on the base paths. Not always the most focused and attentive and uh, mm-hmm. uh, effort-laden player in, in the world, but he, he never gave a shit about that. He maybe should have been a DH. Right. He, may, he might have been a DH uh, if he was playing today. But he
0: was a DH actually uh, for I think it was 2001 or two in Boston before Ortiz showed up for a couple years. He was primarily a DH. Yeah, everyone forgets about that though because Ortiz then clogged up the DH spot, so they put him back in left field.
1: Yeah, and in Fenway you could get away with that, right? Because right, there's exactly the monster there. But yeah, like yeah. he. There's of course the the. <laughs> some famous clips of Manny just doing stupid shit in the field, like, oh, making yeah. that random yep. cutoff for no reason, where he, like, dove to cut off a ball and then throw it back in. Like My
0: personal favorite is when he was in Baltimore, he made a running catch, then ran up to the wall, Spider-Man climbed up the wall, high five a fan in the front row, and then turned around and threw the ball back in. <laughs> like, how can you not love a player like that? Like, and obviously there's, like, other more genuinely concerning things about manny like obviously depending on your mileage or feelings on peds he did get caught like three separate times so that's something (laughs) i just find that funny (laughs) there may have been some like domestic violence stuff with him somewhere along the line i don't know how substantiated any of it was but obviously that's you know a genuine concern but yeah i didn't know that as far as i'm
1: sure i'm sure that that is a thing if if that's uh where yeah. there's smoke, there's fire, with that kind of stuff, but... Sure,
0: exactly, and that's that's kind of my take on it, too, so, you know, you, you kind of, you pump the brakes a little bit on, you know, praising I a guy, yeah, at I didn't at the same know that time, like, just just from a pure baseball standpoint, like, just truly a joy to watch, and all the antic stuff, you know, outside of that specific aspect of it, like, I think people just need to, like, leave alone, like, who cares...
1: And it was it was heavily rooted in in racism and things like that. Yes, I mean, it absolutely was. They say I like was dancing around it, but like yeah, I was that's I absolutely was absolutely what it was. I was watching like this is this was peak baseball watching time for me. It was in the early two thousands when Manny was at his peak with Boston and mm-hmm. obviously playing the Blue Jays nineteen times a year. I saw him a lot, and just like I I always had this like reverence for him as a hitter because you knew he was going to destroy you every single yeah. time he came on the field. And like there was a there was a period mm-hmm. of about five or six years there where. Every single time he came to the plate, he was gonna do something. You know what I mean? And, and he, there's very few players. Albert Pujols is another one where it's like, just the the level of dominance at the plate, possibly unsurpassed. You know, at his peak and pretty and yeah, much like, for
0: about for about a decade from his like, because he was he was always good in Cleveland, but it was like his last two or three years in Cleveland that he really turned it on. And then, like, the entirety of his contract in Boston, and then his first, like, year or two with the Dodgers, that was where he was just, like, basically a decade where he was just an absolute, like, animal in the box. Yeah, and I mean, box.
1: in this game, too, like, obviously the home mm-hmm. run, he just, you know, uh, Pinero made a mistake, threw him a hanging curveball, and he just sat right. back, he sat back on it, he recognized it, he was patient he let it get deep in the box and then he just fucking destroyed it to right center field. But very few players, even with the hanging curveball, there's very few players who could, who could do what he did to that ball. Uh, And the way that he sort of was able to wait on a pitch until it was practically behind him and still make solid contact. I mean, just incredible hand speed and and, uh, hand-eye coordination. And then like, even, even like I said, that, that I mentioned in the highlights that they were trying to pitch around him at one point, of course, like, Tony Rusa is not one or was not one at least at that time to interne- uh, intentionally walk uh people very often but he you know I, I don't think that he should have necessarily intentionally walked Manny but they were trying to pitch around he has him
0: James Loney hitting behind him like Yeah and it was yeah it was
1: maybe one of those few times where it's like okay this guy is the hottest hitter on the planet right now maybe you just let him go to yeah. first but but yeah he, he they tried to pitch around him and then you know Pinheiro gets one within a foot of the plate And he still manages to hit it into center field for a single. Like, it's just, it's a. It's just watching him hit. He was such a smart hitter. Like, he gets, like, labeled as sort of a dumb guy, like, lacks focus. But, yeah, he lacked focus in the field and on the base pass. But when it came to hitting, there probably wasn't a smarter hitter in baseball. he
0: He was truly a savant. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So it's just, it's one of those things that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, the domestic violence thing I was not aware of with him, and I'm not. Yeah, I don't. I don't well, know. Well, and I'd
0: have to. I'd have to look up the specifics. I don't. Again, I don't know how, you know, quote unquote, yeah. substantiated it was. I don't. I don't know if it was as serious as some of the other uh, domestic violence, you know, accusations and baggage we've seen with other players. But I, I think there was something there, just because he's been a part of this whole class of guys. Uh, who for the Hall of Fame have really been scrutinized for PEDs? So then you had people looking at them for other stuff, and I, I believe there was something that came up with him. There Again, is, yeah. I don't, I don't know I'm look. I'm looking it
1: up right yeah. here, and it's it's not good. Um, it yeah. was late. It was he was 39, so it was like later in his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, he yeah. slapped his wife in the face and caused her to hit her head off the headboard of their bed.
0: Yeah, that's that's not good.
1: Not what you want. Sorry, Manny, oh. you're a fuckhead. Turns out, well, that's disappointing. Yeah. No, just we just can't have heroes. Yeah, but uh, still, just an incredible, incredible hitter to watch for sure. Yes. So mm-hmm. a couple other uh, things. Uh, did you have anything else about the game specifically? Like that weird eighth inning, top of the eighth inning thing. With, <laughs> like that was hilarious to me with Jeff Kent and Mark Sweeney. You know, Mark Sweeney yeah. coming to the plate and then not gonna hit, but Jeff Kent, then not him, then Mark Sweeney again, then Jeff Kent again, and they that that was probably what ten minutes of back and forth with just like la Russa walking out and then Tori walking out and la Russa walking out and it made me appreciate like modern baseball a bit because now i maybe not maybe people in the stands still wouldn't know what was going on but like if you were just in the stands you would have no clue and i think the frustration kept like focusing on certain cardinals fans that were just like what is the fucking hold up here <laughs> like yeah and mm-hmm. like because really what like, if you were sitting there, you would have no clue unless you were close enough to no. hear what Joe Torre was, was saying. This
0: was before like baseball Twitter or like having you know apps on your phone, you know, telling you in real time what was going on. And like even now, I think I know they started doing this with replay. I think where they the they've got the umps miked up now, so they can tell you what's going on if there's a delay in play, um, or they'll have someone come over the announcer. But yeah, in this era, you were just stuck. You had your eyes and nothing else, basically. You know, short of having a radio plugged in and listening to, you know, the radio broadcast while you're watching the game.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, as I suppose some I suppose that is something done. that is something that would happen is on the concourse you would have the TVs with the broadcast and usually you right. would hear, mm-hmm. yeah. hear the commentary. So maybe people went up there, were able to figure it out. But yeah. Just one of those one of those weird things where like um, it just seemed to last forever and then just as it's about to wrap up, it's like, okay, well, you know, you brought out mark sweeney you want to go with jeff kent sorry mark sweeney you're out of the game because he came out to the batter's box and was announced by the pa so you know right you're out of the game sorry it's gonna be kent and then like after all of that la like you know what Now i'll make a pitching change
0: (laughs) it's just like jesus (laughs) it's just big fuck you yeah
1: yeah like and then and then go get chris perez to come in and he has to throw his warm-ups and then like it's Mm -hmm. just it was one of those things where like you know, like, LaRusso, you could have maybe done that earlier. I don't know. Like, it just it felt like one of those things where, like, now... I don't think that managers would get away with that now, you know? Because uh, that was just such a lull in the game. And it was at a very, like, exciting and important part of the game. And it just completely deflated the action that was happening, you know? Pujols, four for four. Double home run, two singles. Doing what he does. Lots of interesting pinch hitters. Like you said, there was Jeff Kent and Andre Jones uh, Juan Pierre pinch hit at one point in yeah. this game. Fun player that you he was. You said you had
0: a, you had a point about, uh, Andrew Jones.
1: Yeah, I did. I, I also, also I was, I was going to talk about Rick and as well.
0: Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I was, I was, also I was pinch hoping hit in to get a Rick Ankeel sighting in this game. In this game. Um, yeah, I was sad that he didn't actually get a hit, but, uh, it was still cool to see him though. Yeah.
1: Just one of the, like, there's a really great documentary and I wish I knew the name of it. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, it's a really great documentary about that about Ankeel's career and like just one of the truly unique, improbable, insane yes. baseball careers that has yeah. ever ha- as ever happened. And it feels like we don't talk about it enough now, you know. Yeah. Like,
0: and I've so I have I have watched that documentary you've mentioned. I also read uh, his book that he wrote called Phenom. Uh, would recommend that as well. Very well written baseball book. A very interesting perspective from Ankeel and it's it covers basically all the same stuff in the documentary it just goes into more detail and i think it talks more about his childhood as well um and how that influenced what happened yeah. to him but yeah just an absolutely fascinating Yeah, he was career, a survivor fascinating of, person
1: survivor of abuse right was that his was that yes, thing? I, yep. I believe it was correct and yeah, yeah, just, yeah the, just it was
0: it was his uh his dad was i i can't remember the specifics cuz it's been years since i read it but i think his dad was like a like he was like a hardcore drug dealer um mm. and just You know, had all of the, you know, trappings that can come with doing that and didn't treat his family well, uh, uh, you know, hurt him, hurt his mom, I think hurt some of his other siblings that he had. And uh, his yips, actually, that he ended up getting later in his career, uh, when he actually, like, worked with sports psychologists on it, they said that was actually uh, directly related to the trauma he had suffered. Uh, from being abused by his dad which was yeah. really interesting because I know I had it, there was a documentary I had seen on Mackie Sasser who also had gotten the yips really bad and his uh, yips they said were related to that same kind of trauma or yeah. similar trauma that he had suffered at one point as well so just re- really interesting to see the connective tissue with all of that.
1: And it makes sense I mean one of the reasons that I like not to get too personal about it but one of the reasons I I struggled at baseball I mean I was a, I was a pretty good baseball player but um i was i could have been better and what i think one of the reasons that i wasn't a little bit better was because like i was terrible under pressure like honest to god uh mm-hmm. you know you, if i was playing a game and we were up by a bunch or down by a bunch and nothing really mattered i was one of the best players in the field but as soon as there was like any kind of pressure whether it was offensively Stakes, defensively yeah. pitching i would just fall apart and like so and i know that major league baseball in all sports for that matter sort of filter people out who aren't sort of like able to withstand those high pressure situations. But like for ankiel I mean, and people who don't know the story, uh, I'm sure everybody listening to this probably does, but you never know. Uh, he came up as an absolute phenom pitcher, one of the best young pitching prospects the game had seen in a really long time. And he was like actualizing that he was pitching his ass off yeah. and uh, like just premier yeah. left-headed pitcher, power pitcher, and then got the yips and was throwing the ball over the head of the catcher every single time. And he was very quickly, out of the game like very quickly practically overnight and then came mm-hmm. back years later as a hitter and an outfielder and was you know pretty damn good for a few years there as as a yeah. hitter and and to, to to do that to like come back as a near 30 year old after years away from baseball and make it back as a hitter is just one of the most insane athletic accomplishments in yeah, ever just like wild. ever yeah and, well, and, we, and
0: we just for, don't talk about for it enough Yeah, for some time, too, until Otani showed up. Uh, He actually owned or, uh, like, it was like him and Babe Ruth on a bunch of leaderboards of guys who had done X feet while pitching and X feet while hitting. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, obviously Otani has shattered a lot of that since then, and I think, you know, if he keeps doing what he's been doing, we'll do even more great things. Um, yeah, yeah, Otani's a whole other category of insane. Oh, yeah, (laughs) no, just completely different uh, can of worms there. But yeah, it, it's just it's fascinating to see what because what Ankeel did, he did through just work, really. Like yeah. he worked at becoming a hitter. Like it wasn't like, and obviously, you know, there has to be some level of talent there. Like he couldn't have done that if he, you know, didn't have a, you know, oh crazy athlete in the first place. Just a crazy yeah. athlete. But yeah, no, it's it's pretty cool to see him, you know, go back and see what he was able to do. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's one of my favorite one of my favorite baseball stories, and so it was just cool to see him yes. come up as a pinch hitter in this game, be like, "Oh yeah, shit, here's Rick Ankiel," mm-hmm. you know. The Chan Ho Park sighting, old Chan Ho Park, uh, yeah. coming in as a reliever. Another and sullen he, husk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chan Ho Park was a fun pitcher when he first came over, and he I think wasn't he not was he not the first? Is he is he Korean? Is he the first Korean yes, player Korean. that kind of came mm-hmm. over? He was the first one, right? That kind of came over and and was actually. It might, it might have been the very first believe, Korean player in Major League Baseball. I believe
0: so. And now that I look at it, yeah, he came over. He, uh, I wonder if they signed him as an amateur because I'm looking at his page now. His first uh, seasons were 94 and 95, but he only got into three games between those two years. And then it was 96 that he was kind of like a swingman, and then 97 was his first real like full season. But yeah, really strange career arc for him too, because he he had been with the Dodgers, was a pretty good pitcher with the Dodgers, and then Texas, you know, as their uh, you know want to do, uh, backed up the Brinks truck for him, and he just absolutely shit the bed immediately <laughs> upon signing with them. It was just terrible. Um, you can blame that much more than say the Alex Rodriguez contract for why the. Early to mid two thousands, Rangers were as bad as they were. Yeah, uh, that and anyway.
1: that an ownership, but yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah and I mean, and I mean, he was like, yeah. I mean, it, when he was with the Dodgers, yeah. So I'm reading here um, that he was uh, a pitcher in university, and uh, in 1994, and the Dodgers signed him as an amateur free agent. So nope. yeah, nope, I think that at that right. at that time Korea didn't really have, I don't think, had the same rules that japan does with their sort of yeah they didn't have a po-
0: there wasn't a posting system or anything like that well and that was like uh two two or three years before nomo came over from japan uh, another dodger phenom yeah that they got from asia
1: yeah and also uh, has the most wins of any asian-born pitcher in history so there you go uh,
0: that's wild that's- you would have to think that someone like darvish or Otani maybe will break that at some point.
1: Well it's hundred well, and twenty four. Like I mean who cares about who cares if a, a pitcher wins? Yeah. Who cares if a pitcher wins, but hundred and twenty four is a lot. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? that's a lot. No, you're right. Yeah. I wasn't even thinking about that. Where is
0: here go, go ahead on to what your next point was. I'm gonna just to satiate my own curiosity, look up where Darvish is at
1: yeah because i feel like it has to be it's one of those things i just saw it on his wikipedia page otherwise i never would have given a shit about that but
0: he's at okay darvish is at 95 right now so if he has
1: well if he pitches this five this five-year contract extension he just signed he'll get there yeah
0: no kidding (laughs) yep
1: yeah i love you darvish man that's that's oh uh, my god he is awesome
0: he's such a fantastic pitcher
1: yeah so okay so i have some uh some trivia so you actually answered one yeah. of the trivia questions so one of the oh, trivia i have okay. three of i have three of them one of the okay. trivia one of the trivia questions you know the answer to and i know you do because you said it earlier so uh it was uh the dodgers acquired manny in a three-team trade uh six yes. players with the red sox and pirates who are the other players in the deal you said jason bay um that was the big one jason bay andy laroche <laughs> uh, brandon moss yep, brian andy morris LaRoche. and craig hansen were also in that deal um, yep,
0: go figure. Pittsburgh uh, came up with a nothing burger on that. Surprise, surprise.
1: Wow, wow weird. <laughs> Pittsburgh made a bad trade? Crazy. Yeah, um,
0: I know. Bizarre.
1: Yeah, the, the announcers were insufferable and anti-player. They Like, at one point, they were talking about Manny and how he was, like, you know, potentially going to get a four-year, $100 million deal that offseason, and he was, like, thirty-six. And uh, they were scoffing at that and, you know, sort of making some comments, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, players today, they make too much money. Like, they said something like, well, you know, there's been inflation and it's hard to hard to carve a living if you're a baseball player now. And they were just saying all this sar- sarcastic sort of anti-player Dripping shit. Dripping with sarcasm. Yeah, yeah. That, I, that I think, honestly, you wouldn't hear from many broadcasts today. I just, I think that no, the, you pub- the public hue has skewed a lot more pro player uh, in the last probably decade or so. I and- also
0: think, though, part of that, too, is because so many broadcasters now play it safe and have zero personality for better or worse
1: yeah uh so another just quick observation this is the first game we've done as i mentioned that there are still players in the game it's also the first game we also the first game we've done where there are guys my age (laughs) which i don't like (laughs) Uh, russell martin i've mentioned before that russell martin i actually played against him in in uh in high school Uh so he uh, is i think almost exactly the same age as me so that's you know i don't like that so much
0: poor travis so,
1: so trivia you want you want a couple trivia questions yeah go for all it all right so we mentioned ryan ludwig so the first one mm-hmm. i have i have two the first one i have is about ryan ludwig ludwig had a 151 wrc plus in this season which is just mm-hmm. insane 151 yep uh he was Very. third in baseball third in baseball among outfielders with that 151 mark can you name the two who finished higher than him in 2008?
0: Uh, I want to say Manny, yep. right? Yeah, he was number one okay. at
1: 165. That's kind of what, it's crazy. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, well,
0: and so much of that was weighed by his time in LA when he just went off. Because the first half when he'd been in Boston before he got traded, he wasn't nearly as good, right?
1: Yeah, he got he exploded when he got to to LA. Yeah. Yeah, one of the most historic uh, sort of after-trade deadline. Yeah, uh, no, he was
0: out of his mind.
1: Him and CC that year, of course, so like basically one-handedly yes! one, one yes, handedly, yes. like guiding the, the Brewers to the playoffs.
0: Brewers and Dodgers to the playoffs, yeah. Also, just to, to mention uh, that, too,
1: before before you guess the second one, uh, mm-hmm. the Cardinals did not make the playoffs in this year. They won 86 games and actually finished fourth place because the Astros went on a tear at the end of the year and finished ahead of them. Uh, the Brewers obviously won the wild card and the Cubs won the division. Yeah. Um, but there were four teams at 86 or more wins in the NL central that year. And, uh, the Dodgers won the West. They ended up coming back and usurping the diamondbacks and won the West with 84 Mm -hmm. wins that year. (laughs) So like bad division, but, uh, yeah, but yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, the second one, second player, I don't, I don't think you're going to get this one, but if you do, I'd be impressed.
0: Okay. So Manny, and then I have a hunch Okay. Was it Carlos Quentin?
1: You son of a bitch!
0: How did you know that? Eh. So <laughs> I, I said that because I remember, and I know this because I've looked at this. Uh, I've looked at this team before. So 2008, the White Sox had the blackout game, right, where they played yeah. game 163. And the reason I know about that game is because Jim Tomey. He scored the only run in that game off a solo home run that he hit. Um, so, in that game, Ken Griffey Jr. was in the lineup because they had gotten him at the deadline. Mm-hmm. And part of yeah. the reason they got Griffey... That was the other Griffey big deadline deal. Yeah. Yes, is because Quentin had been hurt. And Quentin yeah. had been, like, their primary cleanup hitter that year because he was out of his mind in 2008. Yeah. And I don't know what his exact numbers were. I just remember they were really, really good. One, so why I guessed Carlos Quentin.
1: One fifty two WRC plus just barely ahead a Ludwig. But yeah, like yeah. Quentin, Quentin's one of those players who I think he got hurt a lot uh, too. And if he yes had been he did, yeah, he might have been a, a really great player. Well, and he, he was, was really good. he was
0: only twenty five years old in two thousand eight too, like really young.
1: Yeah.
0: Of oh course, yeah. Uh, also was...
1: also famous for charging the mound and breaking uh, Zach Gre- hero of the podcast Zach Grenkey's collarbone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wasn't
0: Quentin was kind of a
1: he's kind, a, least the, the kind of a red ass kind of yeah he ass. was kind of a dick yeah yeah definitely and uh it's funny because like that that particular incident too because see, you know, Zach Greinke, like just one of my favorite uh, all-time baseball players in terms of personalities mm-hmm. and just a weirdo who says funny shit all the time mm-hmm. uh and like that was he like did not mean to hit quentin and like remember like at, at post game like because quentin charged the mound and like Broke his collarbone, like literally put him out for quite a while, and, uh, yeah. and Quentin got suspended for quite a bit, if I remember correctly. And like I remember, like the post game when when people were asking Granky about it, he's like, "Oh, were you throwing at Quentin?" He's like, "No, I didn't even know he was charging the mound until he was three quarters of the way there because I wasn't paying attention. Like, I, didn't, I was not trying to hit him. I don't do that. I don't care enough to like try to hit somebody. Like he had some kind of quote along those lines where it was like, well, "I don't care enough to like hit somebody." That's insane. Um, and just Quentin Man, the White Sox from this
0: era were so weird. Like everyone was Every just like, era. old as name, shit. Name, an, name yeah. an
1: era of the White Sox that weren't weird.
0: <laughs> no, you're, you're not wrong. Yeah, They're no, weird now. They, they traded for they traded for 38 year old post post peak Ken Griffey Jr. at the deadline, and put him back in center field like, where
1: he hadn't been in yeah. like two years with Cincinnati.
0: Yeah, and their their average player age that year was like 34, or at least that's what it seems like. Looking at this, I'm looking at their. They had, uh, yeah, like, A.J. Perzinski, Paul Canerco, Orlando Cabrera, Joe Creedy, Jermaine Dye, Jim Tomey, all well into their 30s. Uh, and then the kids on that team were Alexi Ramirez, who was already 26 in 2008, which feels weird. <laughs> um, And then Carlos Quentin, who was 25, and then Nick Swisher, who was 27. Yeah. Just bizarre, bizarre team construction. Well, anyway. they always, they always do Jerry this Ronsdorf. weird. Thanks, Jerry Reinsdorf. Yeah, the the White
1: Sox are always in this weird perpetual we're trying to contend but we don't want to spend the money to contend thing that they do and the you know, they'll luck themselves into the playoffs a couple times. They always have a lot of really good players but never seem to be like They have a good, insane a good talent, team. but the
0: depth is non existent and the roster yeah. construction is weird. Like you would think a team with Eloy Jimenez, Tim Anderson, and Luis Robert would do better than they've done. And but Lucas Giolito
1: and Lance Lynn, yeah.
0: but like, when you have a perpetual black hole at second base for like over a decade, because they have, yeah. you know, whether it's been you know old Josh Harrison or Larry Garcia uh, when they were playing, yeah, Larry <laughs> Garcia, didn't they have? Uh, they had Brett Lurie at one point. Yeah, they and did. I remember yeah. Before that, they had.
1: That was dude, the Marcus was Semien kind of trade, guy? was it not? Like, wasn't Lurie twice traded for like? Yeah. Great play, like Josh Donaldson, obviously from the Blue Jays to the A's, but I'm pretty sure that. Laurie was part of the package and went back to the White Sox in the Marcus Semion deal.
0: But they they played at second base for the longest time. Uh, Not Yulmer Sanchez. Someone else uh, that they had there who was like a legitimate prospect for them for like years. Oh, Gordon Beckham?
1: Yes, Gordon Beckham.
0: That's who I'm thinking of.
1: Gordon Beckham who I famously when I worked at the score I predicted him to win the MVP one of the years that I was working there because I think he would just come off that rookie season where he was pretty good and then Yep, uh, he
0: was second of the year, second in <laughs> rookie of the year voting in 2009 and then did absolutely nothing after that for the rest yeah, of his career.
1: My talent evaluation, you know, I was like, hey, you know, he's going to win the MVP didn't obviously did, that didn't happen anyway we're, really? we're getting a little far afield anyway a bit. yeah we're
0: way off base here so yeah
1: carlos quentin and manny ramirez the two the only two outfielders in 2008 had a higher wrc plus than ryan ludwig i think he was like ninth in baseball or something overall so then the mm-hmm. other trivia question i had involved andre jones and that can maybe spur a quick conversation about andre jones and then maybe we could wrap it up unless you had anything else to, to bring up but uh and you might have a trivia question i don't know but uh so it has been well documented that Andre Jones fell off a cliff after leaving Atlanta following the 2008 season. So, uh, or following the 2007 season. Sorry, the 2008 was his first year and only year with the Dodgers. Uh, in his five mm-hmm. seasons after, in five seasons after leaving Atlanta, so 2008 to 2012, um, I'm just going to rattle off a couple of players, five of them to be exact, and okay. you're going to you're going to tell me in the five seasons after Andre Jones left atlanta that he was still playing 28 to 2012 2008 to 2012 mm-hmm. which of these players had higher or lower wrc pluses than andrew jones in that time uh first one we'll go with ken Griffey jr do you think he had a higher or lower wrc plus from 2008 to 2012 lower he did yeah lower uh 92 who had a so andrew jones by the way 96 not as low as i would have thought for all the narrative well, about how I, terrible he was I
0: remember him having some like small sample size decent offensive half seasons here and there after he fell off what what really with made the, the difference with him was yeah. just yeah was he and I remember uh, I think he had a decent half like pinch hitting season with the Rangers too at one point the the thing that really changed with him is his de- he went from being like literally the best center fielder ever to not even being able to play the field period in the span of like two years it was insane
1: say what you want but 2008 to 2012 he was still a positive 6.7 drs player according to Fangraphs. really groups. yep that that's <laughs> crazy yeah I, that's the thing i think the narrative and we'll get to this in a second but uh, let me list you some other players so ken griffey jr just just barely lower so other players mm-hmm. on this list uh skip shoemaker who was in this game for the cardinals higher or lower in that time lower no higher 98 uh,
0: okay. Uh yeah, my initial instinct was to say higher, but i backed off it. Scott Hairston. Lower. Higher, 105. Oh All right. my god.
1: <laughs> Michael Bourne. Lower. Lower, just barely 93. Michael Brantley. Yeah, I know that.
0: Uh higher.
1: Lower, 94. Mm, I mean, well, he was sort of yeah. I don't think he was around for the first part. and It was early career Michael Brantley obviously, yeah. but uh but Yeah, like I mean, I I think that the narrative about Andre Jones like he had a bad, really bad year with the Dodgers in this year. He signed a two-year $36 million deal and then was just god-awful unplayable for the Dodgers, and they released him after that first year, and he ended up with the oh, White man.
0: Sox. Oh, man. Wow. I'm looking yeah. at his... So he went from uh, from 2006, he had a 126 OPS+, 2007, 87 OPS+, and then 2008, 35. Yeah, That's, 35.
1: But he really insane. just had the, like, I mean, he had the one bad year and he had a lot of injuries. Like, it was clear mm-hmm. that his his body composition changed. That gets said that he was lazy and, you know, and I don't know how true or not true that is. It's totally possible he just got his big right. contract and then didn't give a shit anymore. Mm-hmm. But he, he also didn't get that big of a contract. It was only his big contract was actually the one he signed with Atlanta. <laughs> the extension that he signed with Atlanta—that was yeah. his big contract—and he played extremely well through it. So this notion yes, that like he was
0: probably the best player in Atlanta other than Chipper Jones over that time—he had what it was sixty-four point three WAR in twelve seasons with Atlanta. Yeah, like he no, was a hall. He was a, he was a Hall of
1: Fame player by his age thirty season. Just yep. And and I, I think that he is a Hall of Famer. This is like maybe a, a debate we can have. I think it's he's not a he's not an inner circle no doubt guy but i think i think that you know what he did up to his age 30 season more than put him in the hall of fame almost regardless of what he was going to do after that yeah uh like there's very very few players in baseball history who were as good as andre jones uh up to age 30 very few yeah
0: going going strictly by on-field accomplishments i would i would say jones should probably be in but this is
1: this is one of those things that I that kind of annoys yeah. me, and again goes back to our constant discussion of how race is uh, a part of the narrative. Um, mm-hmm. Because I wonder if Andre Jones was white, if the narrative would be what it was. Because if you look at guys like Dale Murphy or even a guy like Evan Longoria, who like you know had a really great sort of peak early in his career and then tailed off.
0: You Dale know, Murphy is an interesting comp because you have both guys in Atlanta.
1: Playing the same
0: position, yeah. yeah, outfielders who absolutely just died after age thirty.
1: Yeah, and Dale um, Murphy was more of an offensive profile, whereas did, Andre yeah, Jones yeah, Dale was... Murphy
0: didn't wasn't the kind of def- defensive player that Jones was, no, but, yeah, but a better hitter. Similar profile, yeah, yeah, better hitter. Um, and uh, Dale Murphy beloved by the media and people. Right? And in, in fairness to Dale Murphy, from what I've read, genuinely a really really good person too Sure. Like, but Andrew Jones,
1: I, I don't recall. Maybe it's the same thing with Manny. <laughs> uh he I don't recall. does have
0: some there God, are some allegations against him it, out there. Damn it, motherfuckers. I'm so sorry. <laughs>
1: Athletes, man. Jesus Christ. Yeah. This They're is
0: this dicks. is where this is where you, <laughs> you can see the frustration with the Hall of Fame voting because yeah. for a lot of these guys that people want to, you know, give them shit for doing steroids. But then you look at some of the other stuff they've done, and you're like, oh, crap, you know, well, maybe I don't want them in if we're going to use the character clause. Honestly, I think at this point they probably should just get rid of it, because if you examine guys up close, you're going to find something in a lot of guys' off-the-field lives. Yeah, but I think
1: that's maybe okay. I'm more on the... And you know what?
0: I... I am okay with that but it's it it, it it's you know it's a discussion and it's a debate you can have and it it, yeah. it it makes it a lot less fun honestly Yeah and it like just them, it which, sucks
1: cuz you you don't yeah. want to honor these guys and put them up on stage and have them adorned by fans like I think that's the thing with the Hall of Fame right that's what you're doing Right
0: you don't want to give them a platform
1: Yeah whereas the Hall of Stats you know I'm more of a Hall of Stats guy personally just trying to think about that stuff like were they good enough to be one of the best players of all time sure And we can definitely have the conversation about how there were shitheads in their in their life, but uh, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing too, right? Like, it's uh, to me, it makes a guy like a Rod even because I get I maybe here we have zero for two on this shit. I have not heard anything about a Rod in regards to domestic abuse. I I haven't.
0: I I haven't either, and I don't don't know. But put him in the fucking Hall of Fame.
1: I don't give a fuck about steroids. Put him in the Hall of Fame. A Rod is one of the greatest hitters of all time. I'm like, and if he's not beating the shit out of his partners. Like a lot of these assholes are, then just put him in. Just put him in. Character yeah. cause uh, no, give me the honestly, guy who does steroids I, over the Omar Vizquel's of the world. You know what I mean?
0: I I feel like A Rod has done a fairly okay job rehabbing his image too. Yeah, he's he's, like, a know, person, <laughs> yeah. he's a ridiculous
1: person, but
0: yeah, but he's a certain uh, person, not a great broadcaster. But like, I I can appreciate someone like A Rod a lot more than like say a Derek Jeter who post career has had zero personality and is just this like corporate, you know, facing, you know, Yankee paragon. Although who, you know it's you funny? Know, I do find it funny. He doesn't that say anything controversial because he can't
1: I do find it funny that we don't and we don't need to go down this rabbit hole, but I do find it funny that Derek Jeter is now edging in on A-Rod's territory again. <laughs> he's like he's going in to be yes. a broadcaster and it's very and funny. Like, it's funny to me that he's like that a-rod has Mm -hmm. like done all this work to like rehabilitate his image and then here comes Derek jeter and he's immediately going to be more beloved in that role just because of who he is uh do you think they'll
0: move a-rod from uh color (laughs) to uh play-by-play to to field field
1: field level field level commentary Uh,
0: yeah yeah (laughs) poor (laughs) a-rod
1: yeah just oh, and it, like that's the thing right it, this is a whole podcast episode on its own but like a-rod moved positions he he doffed his cap to the captain he did all the things that you want a teammate to do and i understand that he's a bit of a douchebag and whatever else but like i don't know man i'm much more likely to be a fan of a guy like a-rod than a, a fan of a guy like jeter and yep, I agree. you know and saving like fucking andrew jones that's disappointing because i always liked andrew jones too but uh yeah um but anyway, yeah, bringing it back. Andre Jones wasn't as bad, I think, post Braves as people want to believe. Again, the big thing no, was that in his Braves not. in his Braves career, this is the big thing: is 147 games a year on average, and in his post Braves career, 87 games a year on average. So that's yes. that's yeah. the big thing. And may, was that because of his weight or conditioning? Was his weight or conditioning because he wasn't working hard enough? How we'll ever know those answers to those questions? You know, we want, unless right. unless somebody does know, but I really doubt it. Mm-hmm. The narrative around him just seems to be, well, he looked chunkier, therefore that must be the reason. It's like, well, was it? I mean, we don't really know. A lot of players get chunkier. Right, A lot exactly. of people, people gain weight in their 30s. It's just what happens. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, and the skills that Andre Jones had were definitely younger guy skills for the most part. You know, yes. being speed and defense. So, quick that's... twitch
0: athleticism.
1: Exactly. So, did you have anything else about anybody? Because we are now in, at the hour mark. I think we're probably good.
0: Oh i don't think i had anything else to say here i know i kind of made my points about former cleveland players we talked about pooholes we talked about ludwick <laughs> uh, by the
1: way that was that was tessa's observations uh every time she heard pooholes she laughed
0: <laughs> yeah no i've i've explained this to angela before just truly one of the most unfortunate last names a person can have <laughs> yeah. if we're being honest yeah, yeah, at
1: one point, uh, the announcer said, Pujols will put this in his back pocket, and she just laughed hysterically for like five <laughs> minutes. Because <So, laughs> we are uh, children. <laughs> butthole jokes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another time, where it was, uh, I think it was like Pujols is on deck, and she was like, That's not what you want. <laughs> <And> so, yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I don't think I really had anything else. Um, so, yeah, we can wrap it up from here if you want. Sick.
1: All right. Well, next time, we're going to have an interleague play game from the first Ooh. year of interleague play uh, from yes. 1997. So it's going to be June 15th, 1997. Uh, so this was there the first like, the first series of interleague play as well, the first first oh, time wow. it had ever happened. So uh, they bring that up a lot on the broadcast. It's the Detroit Tigers in Montreal, taking on the Montreal Expos. We said we were going to get to an Expos game sooner than later, and we are doing it. Uh, Brian Moeller versus Jeff Juden two guys you probably haven't thought about since 1997 ernie harwell doing the play-by-play without with al kaline one of those is great at it the other
0: one is not as much in 1997 i don't know what my uh what would my biggest concern have been in 1997 probably something power rangers related i don't know
1: you know probably same honestly which you know i was a little old for power rangers but i still loved it so i'm not ashamed
0: I mean, like I, I still watch Super Sentai because I'm a massive weeb. So like, <laughs> nothing yeah. wrong with that. Anyway.
1: So yeah. Anyways, it's the first time the Tigers had played in a in a series where their pitchers had to hit, uh, that wasn't in the World Series. So that was a, a thing in the Big O in Montreal. Uh, obviously, R.I.P. Expos. So we'll get into that mm-hmm. all next week. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Coax Baseball. You can follow me at Travis underscore R underscore Labor. Feel free to reach out. We don't have a whole lot of people following us yet. We, if if you hear this and you like and you're on Twitter, go give us a follow. You can interact with, with us there. You can send us questions, concerns. Hi. Yeah, exactly. You can, you can send us questions, concerns, and comments to uh, Coax Baseball at proton.me. And you can find Scott's art at on Instagram at art underscore by underscore scott underscore 92 uh what else anything else you want to plug before we get out of here
0: uh not really you plug my twitter i just recently did a very nice picture Wait, your of instagram uh, new guardian josh bell yeah nice. instagram that yeah. other thing you don't have twitter importantly use. yes yeah, yeah. yeah. no that's have. I used you, to you, you have access
1: no. you have access to the coax baseball one you can you can still tweet anything you want for yes. Us. <laughs> yes
0: yes yes very, all right, very good thing for me to have access to.
1: So yeah, check the show notes for links to the videos uh, for this game, for next week's game, for all the things I just mentioned. We'll talk to you next week.